welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Fantastic. Well, we are in for a great morning this morning. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate that. Appreciate what you do every week. In just a few weeks' time... We're going to be starting a new series straight off the back of the Dead Man Walking series. We want to be going, looking at going through the book of Acts. And it's a series we've entitled Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries. And we're going to have an overview of the book of Acts for the term two. Um, having said that, we thought in the meantime, it would just be good to do a little bit of free balling and uh, just to hear from some of the preachers and what's on their heart outside of a series. And so I thought, how could we brand that? And yes, I could have called it Pants Off Sunday, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I thought we'd call it the mixed tape. And uh, some of you are going to say, what's a tape? This, this is uh, for the generation prior to the iPads and the iPods and the iPhones. Anyone know what a cassette tape is? Fantastic. And uh, does anyone remember what the mixtape consisted of? The mixtape was a cassette tape that consisted of all your favourite songs. So it wasn't just one band, it was a number of bands with a number of songs. And many of those songs we flogged off the radio. And, and what we would do is sit there with the pause button on, the play and record buttons down, and pray to God that the DJ would shut up as he would introduce the song. And the moment he stopped talking, you'd push the pause button and it would begin to record your favourite song. And then as the, uh, the song is being recorded, you'd pray to God that he wouldn't come in and say, you've been listening to 5K, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Just shut up. Just, just, just. And hopefully you get as much of the song as possible. And you do that a number of times, you'd fill the tape and you'd have your, you'd have your party mix or your, your tape mix or the mixed tape, okay. And uh, invariably on the tape, you just write mixed tape, which meant you could get anything. Anyone know what I'm on about? And so the next couple of weeks is just going to be uh, some random messages, assorted messages from assorted preachers, but we thought we'd brand it under the mixtape. How does that sound? Having said all that, I want to speak to you about something that's close to my heart this morning, and uh, something I've entitled Risky Business. <laughs> Risky Business, which could be a series in and of itself, but we're not going to do that today. Risky Business. And I want to start from reading in the book of Luke. You ever say Luke. Luke chapter 9, and I want to read the first six verses. It says, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? He told them this. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people 
everywhere. Let's look at what we've just read. Jesus gave the disciples power and authority, which in and of itself is pretty awesome. But outside of this power and authority, he gave them very little else. He did not give them any money. He didn't give them any travel allowance or any petrol money. If you're a church planter, listen up. People will happy to plant church as long as you give them all this stuff. Jesus didn't do that for the disciples. He gave them no money. He didn't give them any food. He didn't even pack them a little sanger on the journey. He just said, go! No food, no money, no accommodation, no music, no smoke machine, no building, no electric guitars, no drum kit. How do you do church without those things? None of that. And on top of all of that, he gave them no guarantee of success. He actually said, you know, when you go into some towns, if they receive you, good. If they don't, wipe the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In your face. And the disciples must have been sitting there thinking, no food, no money, no accommodation, no extra clothing, and no guarantee of success. Are we hearing you right, Jesus? But the most amazing thing of this story is they went. With no money, no food, no accommodation, no guarantee of success. They said, okay, and they left. It says they set out because Jesus told them to go. I love that. I, I love what Jesus is doing here. You see, following Jesus is both wonderful and terrifying At the same time. You see, he was forever challenging and stretching the disciples. On one occasion, there was this massive storm. And the disciples were afraid for their life. The only person who's calm is Jesus. He's on a pillow sleeping. And everyone's freaking out. And they say to him, Jesus, don't you care? Isn't it amazing? The only person who does care gets accused of not caring. And they say, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind, rebukes the wave. They go, oh, 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 thank you, Jesus. Only to get to the other side and be greeted by a madman. Now they're in trouble again. Jesus, there's some freak, there's some lunatic. He's running at us. Help us, Jesus. It was wonderful following Jesus, I'm sure, but it was wonderfully terrifying. And so Jesus, there's this guy, what are you going to do? And then he has to cast these demons, thousands of demons out of this one person. Such is the nature of following Jesus. On another occasion, there was all these people who'd been listening to Jesus for days and they hadn't had any food. And the disciples said, oh, Jesus, we, we, we've got to think of the people and we've got to send them home. He said, oh, I've got a better idea. How about you feed them? Wonderful, but terrifying. This is New Testament Christianity where it's wonderful and terrifying. We sang that song earlier, the wonder. If there's no wonder and there's no terror, I doubt you're following Christ. 
Following Christ is both wonderful and terrifying all at the same time. And the reason is because following Jesus takes faith and faith always involves taking risks. Can I say that church is a risky business? Being a Christian is a risky business. And herein lies the problem. We don't like risk. We're not comfortable with it. We live in a culture today that has an aversion towards taking any risk. Risk aversion is a manifestation of people's general preference for certainty over uncertainty and for minimising the magnitude of the worst possible outcomes to which they are exposed. And I believe this is true not just in the financial world, but it's true in every area of life. When it comes to our relationships, we are risk averse. When it comes to our finances, we are risk averse. In short, we want safety, security and guarantees. We live in a world today where OHS is king. We recently had a couple of men come from the council and assess our building. And they went to, through it with a fine tooth comb. And some of the things they picked up were, were helpful to us and things that we knew needed fixing. But a lot of what they brought up went into the ridiculous. And we have to spend money, time, effort and energy complying with OHS, which ultimately slows things down, costs us a lot more than it ought to, to comply with stuff that really has no real bearing on us getting the job done. How many things do you know today that have been slowed down as a result of bureaucracy and red tape? Or the OHS police? Or maybe not even just slow down, but shut down. I remember we used to go to Monash Playground when Monash had a playground, a proper playground, a dangerous, fun-filled playground. If you've been up there recently, that is not the Monash I'm talking about. I'm talking about hardcore Monash Playground. But because the bureaucrats get there, everything gets shut down. How many go-kart places don't exist anymore because the premiums and the insurances just cost too much to keep something open? Helen Keller said this, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature and nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. For the racing car buffs, Mario Andretti said this, if things seem under control, you're just not going fast enough. <laughs> when we do events like The Bloke, I love it because things are anything but in control. I don't want safe and secure religion. I want reality, I want life, I want adventure. I want to live on the cutting edge because I believe that's where Christ would have us live. 
Things go wrong, yes. But that's where the power is. That's where the life is. That's where the results are. And so this morning, I want to look at some thoughts around risk. And the first one is simply this, that God designed us to live with risk. I don't believe that God is so much a risk taker in the sense that he is omniscient and he knows the beginning from the end. And so when you know the end, you don't really have to take risks. However, I do believe he created us for risk. And I believe one of the key reasons that Jesus chose Peter above anyone else is because he was a risk taker. It was Peter who spoke up when everyone else was silent. Remember, Jesus is saying, who do the people say that I am? And when they were talking about everyone else, everyone had an answer. Ah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the other prophets, some say you're a good fella, some say you're a naughty, naughty boy. Whatever the case may be, they were talking about a whole heap of things. But then Jesus turned around and said, okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? It's silent. No one wants to say anything. Have you ever been in a classroom when you think you've got the answer? But for the fear of possibly being wrong, you don't say anything? That was the 12 minus one. Peter. Peter was going to speak whether he had the answer or not. I love that about Peter. He made a lot of mistakes, but every now and then he got it right. And when everyone else was silent, Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that's been prophesied about. That's who you are. And I think when Jesus sees it, oh, I can use this guy. He said, blessed are you, Peter. He gave him this mandate to build the church. Because when everyone else was silent, Peter was speaking up. When there was a storm and Jesus is walking on the water and no one would get out the boat. Guess what Pete was doing? He's getting out the boat. We often read that story and say, yeah, yeah, but after a little while he started to sink and Jesus rebuked him for having little faith. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Pharisee that you are, you're right. And yet those that stayed in the boat did not drown. You're right. You're right. But not one of the other 11 had the testimony that Peter had. For albeit a short and brief moment in time, Peter was defying gravity as he walked on water. I don't know if it was for one step. I don't know if it was for two. I don't know if it's for three or four. But whatever the number, it's one, two, three or four more than you or I have ever done. God can use a guy like Peter, a guy whose faith kind of waned when he was on water and he began to sink. God has chosen us for risks. In actual fact, Peter and I were talking about this recently. One of the things I love about God is that he's not into 08 and S. I know this is some, for some of you, it's really a struggle now because this is your job. A job you probably wouldn't have had 20, 30 years ago, such as the nature of OHS. But imagine if God was into OHS. What would the world look like? I imagine if God was into OHS, there wouldn't be an ocean. 
because of the very real possibility that someone could drown. There probably wouldn't be any mountains because someone might fall and roll down and hurt themselves. Let's not even mention cliff faces. That's just downright dangerous. What about trees? I don't think there'd be any trees. What about the seasons? I don't think we'd have winter because someone might just get a cold. We wouldn't have the sun because someone might get sunburned. What about our bodies? <laughs> if God was into IHS, I don't think he would have given us legs. Because if we have legs, we might run and trip and hurt ourselves. We wouldn't have arms because we might pick up a stick and poke somebody's eye out. And we certainly wouldn't have a brain. Because maybe we might just use our brain for evil purposes instead of noble purposes. All that being true, God creates a world full of danger. God has created a world where we can lose our lives every second of every day. And he seems really cool with it. He seems really happy with it. And he wants us to live life to the full. So God has created us for risk. And to live in risk. Not safety and the security of your own little comfort bubble. Secondly, risk is what grows and shapes us. As a result of the early church taking such risks, guess what happened? It grew. People often ask me this what do you do to grow the church? What do you do? What's Victory Church doing? Churches that are being led by churches that are growing. Everyone wants to know the secret of success. I can tell you this. For every church that's growing, there's an element of risk. What a lot of people are asking is this. How can I grow but play it safe? If you resign to playing it safe, you will never grow. The church won't grow. You won't grow. This is why many people won't enter into a relationship. Oh, they'll sleep around, but they won't enter into a relationship because that involves risk. Relationships are risky. Church is risky. And it's on the other side of risk that we grow. We need to grow. Jesus intentionally did not make it easy for the disciples. He says, I want you to go out, but I want you to go out with no money. I want you to go out with no food, no accommodation, no guarantee of success. I just want you to do it. And he didn't explain himself. When there were thousands of men that needed feeding, he says, what are you going to do about it? 
And he let them just sit there. The Bible says he knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to just let them sweat it for a bit. What was the heart behind that? Because he was sadistic? No, because he wants to grow us. See, I believe the biggest problem that we are facing today and the problem and the result of the culture that's been created is paranoid parents. That's where this stems from. Parents that are paranoid and overprotective of our kids. God loves us, yes, but God is happy to terrify us all at the same time. And it's something that we as parents have got to get comfortable with, terrifying our kids. Allowing our kids to be terrified because it's in the terror that they grow. Going to the terror of an exam where they're going to sit a test all by themselves. Yes, sit it out, sweat it out. And that's how you grow. Jesus says, what are you going to do? How are you going to feed these people? What do you mean, Jesus? I just want to know what you want to do. And they're sweating it because he wants to grow them. We wrap our kids in cotton wool. Got a generation of cotton wool kids where we do everything for them. And we've got this group of people called teenagers. A term that wasn't used prior to 1940. Paul simply talked about being a child or a man. He never talked about this twilight zone somewhere in the middle. In Gen- in curve in Corinthians, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. No mention of a teenager. He didn't say, when I became a teenager, I got gangly, I got stupid. I just did whatever I wanted to do. I took drugs. It was a license just to be stupid. No such thing as a teenager in the Bible. Just kids and men. These, these precious little ones that we're protecting, these are the ones that went to war and fought that we might have the freedom that we've got today. People 15 lying about their age so they can represent their country knowing that they're going to die so that this, this nation of ours can have a preferred future. Something's gone wrong. We are breeding and raising a generation of softies. Cotton wool kids. According to OHS regulations, children born in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, 70s should not have survived. If you were born in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, you are a walking miracle. Why? Because our cots were covered with lead based paint, of which we licked and chewed. We are the generation that never grew up with childproof locks. I could open every pill packet there was. We rode bikes without helmets. In thongs. 
on your feet. Without brakes. Isn't that dangerous? Yes. We rode in cars with no seatbelts. We drank drinks from the same bottle as the next person without wiping it. We had no PlayStations, Xboxes, Wiis, iPods, iPhones, iPads, no internet. We just had a thing called friends. We ate slugs, dirt and sour sobs. Because we could. We made go-karts out of spare parts and used those go-karts to go down hills at top speeds without a helmet. We were the envy of our whole street because one Christmas time, Dad got us this mother of all go-karts and it was unbelievable. It was just fantastic. The only problem is it was just a little bit too big for us, which means we couldn't quite reach the brake. <laughs> and we had an incredible little alleyway that we used to make good use of. And so because it was me, Pete and Baz, that meant two on the back pushing as fast as you can and the one driver. And when we ran as fast as we could to jump on the back, and just hold on with no thought of anyone who may want to be walking up the other way and no thought of stopping when you got to the end and went straight out onto the road. It's just what we did. I remember many times there's now excitement in the back jumping, which meant you lost control of the steering because the front wheel was off the ground, which meant you'd slam into the corrugated iron fence of which... There were neighbours on the other side who would come out and give us an ear bashing for denting their fence, ripping their fence. I'll never forget one day when my front wheel got stuck in between the two panels and this guy had these big, Alsatia, uh, these big um, dogs and uh, <laughs> Dobermans they were and, and I could not get this, this thing out and the guy was getting onto me and I just remember my friends left me and I had to just rip the wheel out and walk back with the uh, go-kart back to our house. And then we told the stories. And here I am telling the story today. <laughs> Never tire of those stories. One guy let a dog out on my friend. Because we used to run home from school. Remember the corrugated iron fences that were alongside the alleyways? You get a stick and just go brrrr. <laughs> I never understood why that was annoying. It was so annoying one day that this old man let his dog out on us. And I managed to get up a tree. My friend jumped over a little fence, which was nothing for the dog. He jumped over that too and started mauling my friend. 
And the guy shouts out, that'll teach you young, and I can't use the language. And, and, and he called his dog off, and we dusted ourselves off, and we never thought about dobbing him into the authorities. I think subconsciously, we knew we deserved it. He may have taught us a lesson, but he, what he doesn't know is he gave us an incredible story, of which I'm telling you today. What, what are our Cottonwool kids going to be saying to their kids? I got the highest score on PlayStation. We had elastic band wars. Not with paper, with steel metal staples. And no eyewear. We had this fad in our school where we'd get the stapler, the big heavy staplers, and uh, when you're sitting down on the, uh, the table in the, in the chair there, someone would just walk by and get the stapler and whack it straight on your leg so it would staple your jeans to your legs. <laughs> we climbed trees and we fell out of trees. We had permapine playgrounds that didn't look like anything. That's why we had to use our imagination. And that permapine playground became anything we wanted it to be. Unlike the playgrounds today that are all spelled out for you. P.S. There was no softball under them either. I used to be in awe of these girls that would do these things with their legs and, and dismount and land on bitumen. Tough. When we hurt ourselves, there were no lawsuits, just accidents. You'd go home and say, Dad, she'll be right. <laughs> Dad, I think well, you shouldn't be so stupid then, should you? <laughs> okay, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> we walked to our friends' homes. We rode our bikes to school. We rode our bikes to school and we had a school that was in town. And we'd ride our bikes to school. No parents. We had punch-ups. Fights after school behind the shoulder shed. And sorted things out. Now we have counselling sessions. And depression on the rise. When a good punch to the head might have sorted that out a long time ago. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but Pastoral Pete, <laughs> the nice one, he got in more fights than any kid at school that I know. I cannot tell you the amount of times I'd go after school. There's a fight on, fight, 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 fight. And as I'd get there, you know, you know how it starts, this crowd, and you can't see who's fighting. All you hear is fight, 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 yeah. And so as I'm pushing my way forward, it's Pete again. We had this school bully who lived on Carroll Drive. 
And he used to give us grief. And one day he was giving Pete grief, and Pete came back crying to Dad. And I'll never forget, I was standing there with Dad, and I thought, what's going to happen? This is what would happen today. The parents would get involved. And there'd be a lawsuit. Dad looks at Pete. I'll never forget it. He says, don't come crying to me. I want you to go back and hit me in the face as hard as you can. And Pete was more afraid now of my dad than the bully. That's Christianity. We're meant to be more afraid of God the Father than all the people. Pete, Pete got this supernatural strength come upon him, having been in the presence of the Father. Went back to this guy and smacked him fair square. In the, and, and he was no longer the bully. We had a new bully in town. It was a risk. He might have got beaten up. He could think, yeah. But he might have just sorted it out too, and that's exactly what happened. It's a risk. It's a risk. We made up games with sticks. And those sticks became whatever we wanted them to be. Swords and bow and arrows. We made bow and arrows. Not just with sticks, but we would put a dart on the end of it. And get Baz to run as fast as he could. <laughs> we just launch him at Baz. We had air rifles. We'd take, it, we'd take the screen off our, door, off, our, off our windows. And we had a two-story place. And we would just shoot birds. For a season, there was no birds in Para Hills. We just shot them all. We shot pegs off clotheslines. When there was no clo- pegs on our clothesline, we'd look over next door. Oh. <laughs> doof, doof, doof. You say, well, if we'd known that, we probably wouldn't have come to church. Here's the thing. God knows that about us. And he says, I want these guys. Any guy who can do some of the things that they've done, I think I can use them. I think that's what God's saying. Anyone who can go punch the Carol Drive bully in the head, I think God says, I can use that guy. We grew up in a generation where parents sided with the authorities when we did the wrong things. If we went crying home because some parent had told us off, the general response was, you shouldn't have been so stupid then. Didn't get sympathy. Certainly didn't get a lawsuit. My dad tells stories where the policeman was able to clip you around the ear. I say, bring back those days. Where you just kind of worked together. To raise the children. It takes a whole village to raise a child. Not paranoid parents. The amazing thing about all these statistics is that this generation that shouldn't be alive today has produced some of the best risk takers and inventors in the last 50 years. With an explosion of innovation. A generation that learnt from their failures and their successes. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing, and becomes nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he simply cannot learn and feel and change and grow and love and live. What's it going to be? I could talk so much more. We're out of time.
I love this topic. The question I want to leave you with this morning in light of all that I've shared is this. When's the last time, really, you took a risk? In this world where OHS is king, where we crave security, where we crave safety, where we crave guarantees, when's the last time you risked? It never ceases to amaze me, the feedback we get about this church, as if somehow it just all happened. For this moment to be here right now, it came at a cost. It came at an incredible price. There was risk associated. When we stand up here and take up the weekly offering, and some have the freedom to be able to judge wrongly our motives. You overlook the risk that we've taken, the financial risks. We've had our home up for grabs in the eyes of the bank for so long now, it doesn't even touch us anymore. Every step of faith, when the bank wants some guarantees, we say, here, have my home. No guarantee that any of you are going to come back tonight or tomorrow. Armed with faith and little else, we just have done that. And we create these moments that we're experiencing today. Because risk is not only what grows you, it's essential for our future. And we cannot afford as a church to get safe and secure. We cannot allow a few naysayers or complainers or whingers who don't like the level of, the volume of, the amount of, the color of, the alcohol of, whatever it is that we do to stop us risking. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way. We haven't always got it right. But it's what has got us to here. Cardinal Newman, a British preacher, once said this, a man who would do nothing if he waited until he could do it so well that no one would find fault with him will not do anything at all. In other words, we grow as we go. You can't get so perfect at something before you have a go. We've had to stand up here many times and apologize and talk about some of the mistakes we've made. But I would rather do that again and again and again and again for the sake of growth and new ventures that we are to be a part of as a church. We're expanding our cafe. We're looking at expanding through having a child center. It's not, a, it's not that I ever spoke out against these things in the past. It's just that I never even imagined we'd be doing these things once upon a time. 
If God had told me everything that we'd have to go through in order to get what we've got today, I would have been out of here. God graciously blinds our eyes. Some of us are sitting back waiting for God for confirmation. You don't want confirmation. It'll just put you off. Jesus withheld certain information because he knew if I told you everything, you just wouldn't do anything. That's why for the most part, prophecies are encouraging and for our strengthening, we just tell the good bits. God gets his men and women, the prophets, to say, tell them this. Tell them all this good stuff. Just leave out the bad stuff, otherwise they won't do anything. Hey, I know how about a bit of a laugh at the expense of OHS, and we're not talking about throwing our brains out. But even those of you who are in the industry, you've got to admit, it's getting too far-fetched. It's gone, it's gone beyond what it's saying. It's just become an industry all of its own. It's just become a money-making venture. We've been told more recently that we'll probably have to spend $25,000 on a piece of equipment that's going to sit over there and never get used. That should make you mad. That's all I'm going to say about it. But that should make you mad. We will never use this piece of equipment, but we need it. At the small cost of 25... Has anyone got $25,000 they want to burn this morning? Anyone? Because that's what we are going to have to do. $25,000. It's gone beyond a joke. But that's not the problem. They're just doing their job. The problem is when it starts affecting us. Blood washed, Holy Ghost filled, sons and daughters of the living God. When we start playing it safe, there is no hope for this world. There's no hope. So who's going to take a risk? The risk will look different for different people. This is what I was going to talk about. I don't have time. Maybe we can do it another time. Just put it in the mixtape series. We're going to share our faith, share our love, share our stories, share our testimonies. We've no guarantee to be received, but let's just do it anyway. Steve's blessing this church because he left America. Risk. No guarantees of anything. And God has opened doors. It's amazing that he's with us today. It's amazing. It's a a God thing. Could have stayed in America, waited for the phone to ring before we got this job. Just stand. Of course, the greatest risk taker of all time is none other than Jesus himself. who risked it all that some might come. Went through hell that we, could, might, that we might have heaven. This church exists today because men and women have gone before us and risked it all, laid down their lives, Men were locked away 
as they rewrote the Word of God to ensure that the next generation would have the Word of God to read. Then we had men like Tyndale who got the printing presses going and the Bible became more readily available. Now we've got, I mean, man, Bibles galore. The only difference is we just don't read them. This incredible nation and the freedom that we have came at a massive cost. And we owe it to the future generations to be bold and very courageous. It takes courage to be a parent these days. You ask any teacher in this congregation, the biggest problem is not the kids, it's the parents. takes guts to be a Christian parent, to make a stand. Not to be awkward, not to be different, but just to hold on to what is right. We've lost something of that entrepreneurial, have a go, get involved, take a chance. That's what this church was birthed in. Others have started a business here. I'm sure they've got similar stories. No guarantees. When we did this building, it was the worst time. It was when the recession was at its worst. It was not a good time. Trouble is, we was in the middle of it. We've only got one way. It's just forward. Tough. But here we are. Father... I pray that through my words today, the foolishness of preaching, you may spark in us afresh a new hunger, a new desire to break free from conservatism, safety, and comfort, and guarantees. But that we may take chances again. That we may take risks again. Be that in our, in our personal walk with you. Be that in our relationship with others. Be that in job ventures. May we not be a generation that just plays it safe. With prayer with the right people in our world. I pray to you, God, that we would take risks again. And I ask that in Jesus' name. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.